Well, good morning, and uh, happy Fourth of July to all of you. A um, couple things I just want to say before the sermon here. First of all, uh, next Saturday, once again, just to reiterate, that is the uh, memorial service for Edna Hardy, uh, a dear saint and a wonderful member here and friend of many of us. Uh, and so uh, we're celebrating uh, her home going next uh, Saturday at 11 o'clock, followed by a luncheon afterwards. And we want to be here to support the family. So um, uh, if you can, uh, make that part of your next week. Uh, sad to announce the, the passing of uh, Gary Schoen, uh, but uh, joyfully into the presence of the Lord, but uh, a loss on this side because we'll miss him until we see him again, which we will. Uh, wonderful, wonderful man. Dear friend of mine, too. I, we probably had, I don't know, a hundred um, breakfasts together. <laughs> and so uh, uh, that's just... You know, you, you get the, used to seeing and talking and texting and uh, doing all those things. And so um, we will announce any memorial service in the future uh, for Gary Schoen. The other thing, you noticed that we didn't have a time of collection of the offering. We're just, the plate is in the back this morning. So if you have an offering, uh, please drop it in there. I don't say that lightly because that is a sacrifice that we give to the Lord. And so uh, as I uh, <clears throat> pray prior to the sermon here, I'm going to include that as, a, as an opportunity for us to thank the Lord for, uh, for those gifts and offerings and for him to use them. Lord, again, we thank you for this, uh, this beautiful day. We thank you for this nation. And uh, we uh, pray for this nation that... Uh, your will would be done, that the, the church would, would awaken and uh, carry the light. We also <clears throat> thank you for Gary and for Edna, Lord, and uh, we thank you that they're in your presence. Uh, that's a promise that you made. And, uh, and Lord, by their faith in you, we are trusting that they're in your presence and, and uh, very excitedly celebrating with you on this day. And I, I uh, thank you for the gifts and offerings, Lord, that, uh, that are given, even sacrificially, and we just commit those to you, that you would use those monies as a way of promoting the gospel in this area. And so may your will be done. Thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, may your presence be known, manifested. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> And so as we celebrate on the anniversary of our country's birth, that commemorating the passage of the Declaration of Independence by the Continental Congress of July 4th, 1776, I think some of us do uh, celebrate with mixed emotion. Uh, those who love this country and its founding principles see that many of those foundational principles are eroding away especially those uh, ideals that uh, were founded on faith and trust in God. And so when the country that you love is heading in the wrong direction and you see its effects, the effects of that erosion, it is heartbreaking. But much like the individuals in Scripture, when they saw their country in trouble or even sinful, heading in the wrong direction, they boldly approached the throne in prayer. I think of uh, people like Nehemiah. Uh, when he heard the state of Jerusalem, 
being destruct, destroyed and the walls destroyed and he was in exile and he was just heartbroken as he got, as he went before the Lord. Um, Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4 where Nehemiah recounts this. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, if he stopped there, that would be something. I mean, it's, it is wonderful to weep over your nation, but he didn't stop there. He went before the Lord and he offered uh, a, a word and a, and a prayer of confession for himself, for his father, for his father's father, for the nation of Israel. And he went brokenhearted before the Lord. He said, you said this would happen if your people walked away from you. And uh, But then he didn't stop there in that time of confession. He asked that his hands might be strengthened, that he might have favor before the king that he was serving. And the Lord gave him favor, and he was instrumental in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. I think uh, today as we approach this 4th of July and we see uh, damage and destruction to the nation that we too uh, should come with confession, uh, confession for our nation and, and also beseech the Lord to give us strength that we might get the light of the gospel out and have changed Hearts. You think of even the Apostle Paul uh, when he was writing in Romans uh, just a few weeks ago when I was talking about this in Romans chapter 9. He was saddened, but his, his own countrymen were not accepting the gospel and they were twisting the gospel and the Judaizers were, were adding to the gospel, making it not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said in, in, in chapter 9, in my words, uh, boy, I wish I could change places with you. I would be the one that would be uh, eternally damned and you would have the great resources of eternal life. And uh, that's how much he loved this country and his countrymen. He, his heart was broken for them. So whether you are heartbroken over the sin in our country or the rejection from the, of the gospel, we can't simply throw our hands up in the air in despair. We are to carry the messages that, or the message that changes the heart of the most hardened people. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so my question for us today is, do we weep over the United States or are, are we just like frustrated? Are we holding our breath waiting for some political solution or a change in government? The church has the answer. The church has the answer. We are to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just for the last three of the four weeks, I had been in a, in a systematic way, what is the gospel, what the gospel isn't, and then a couple of weeks ago, how to share the gospel. Uh, since then, we had three or four people come to Christ. Another uh, individual came to Christ through Pastor Jim's ministry this past week. Uh, what a blessing. What a blessing to see lives changed. Um, we have to get the, the message out there. And, uh, and see those lives transform for him. And so, on July 4th, 2021, when our country is on the brink of collapse, because much like the condo, the Chaplin uh, condo down in Florida, they, they talk about this erosion that was going on with the foundation well, something is eroding, eroding the foundation in, in our country. 
And if it's not corrected soon, we will have a collapse. And so God is calling the church to rise up and stop sitting on this information. Somebody told a story one time about these the angels in heaven all in a commotion. They're saying the church isn't delivering the message. The church isn't delivering the message. And they run to Michael the archangel and said, you got to talk to the Lord and maybe he'll send us down there and, and, and we can go to plan B. But Michael responded, there is no plan B. There is no plan B. The church is the plan. And so it's a, maybe a corny uh, uh, example but it, the message is true. We are the plan, and God will work through His church to get the message out to the individuals in the highways and the byways. And uh, again, I have to say, with or without cer- certain so-called churches, because if we're not obedient to that call, are you really a church? And so here's the thing. You might be surprised that the biggest hindrance to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the United States doesn't come from opposition groups. There are enemies of the gospel, that's for sure, and they abound. These groups are sarcastic, they are belittling of Christians, and they are aggressive in trying to stop the disciples of Christ from getting the message out. But once again, I say the biggest hindrance to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the U.S. are not the atheists, not the humanists, and not the Muslim extremist. The biggest hindrance, the biggest enemy of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the complacency of the believer. And by that I'm talking about a lack of a sense of urgency to deliver this life-saving message of Jesus Christ to the masses. Believers are to rise and answer our call to duty Overcoming our complacency to share the gospel with a sense of urgency. One of the best places to find that sense of urgency in the scripture, I believe, is the book of 2 Timothy, the last book written by the Apostle Paul before his execution. <laughs> and he just had just a sense. Uh, and so I'm going to uh, pause from our study. Well, I, I did for some time here with the gospel, uh, and then. Uh, today with this small sermon on the first four verses of 2 Timothy, and then next week we'll get back to Romans. So just if you're thinking, why aren't we studying Romans right now? That's why. But one of the best places, again, is is, uh, 2 Timothy. So we'll turn there in, in a moment. I say that because Paul's life was about to be terminated by Nero. He was thrown in that maritime prison. I talked about that several times through sermons, that giant cylinder in the ground where they were throwing these um, uh, prisoners, these uh, anyone who would preach the gospel was thrown in there. And what they would do is basically a septic holding tank. They would open up the gates and flush uh, the uh, sewage water into that maritime prison. It would fill up, the men would drown, and then they would open the second gate, and the men would be flushed down through the uh, gates um, the, the opening gates of the city. So, I mean, that was Nero, and that was uh, he, he was a tormentor. Um, that for the in the Apostle Paul's case, that wasn't visible enough, and so when it came to Paul, he had him pulled from the maritime prison and beheaded publicly, hiring singers and dancers in the background. 
I think of that, and I, and I, I just think of the, the individuals that the Holy Spirit used to write the, the Bible, <laughs> for us to have God's Word. And so sometimes I don't wor- worship the Bible, I worship the God of the Bible, but I honor the Word of the Bible, and I, I sometimes look at the book and I just say, wow, <laughs> we're able to have this in our hands. Well, what, a, what a blessing. It is, and the sacrifice that went into it. I hope you look at your Bibles the same. Paul never lost his joy for the new life that he received through Jesus Christ. He was transformed, as you remember, on the road to Damascus, and he never looked back. He had a sense of urgency, and a sense of urgency in this particular book in 2 Timothy was he wanted to get this information into this young Timothy, this young pastor's hand, and he wanted to set him in motion in ministry, this perpetual motion in ministry. The gospel is so full of life. It knows no limits, no bounds. It grows, it's dynamic, and it's only hindered by the deliverer when the deliverer is unfaithful. The preaching of the gospel is never to be based on how it's going to be received. <laughs> you can't think, well, is this person going to be a good receiver of the gospel or not? You just deliver the message. I think of Stephen in the, in, in, in the book of Acts, just about to be stoned. He knew they were breathing heavily. They were coming after him. They were going to kill him. He knew that. And he starts this beautiful dissertation of, of, of the historical background leading up to Christ, whom you killed, he said, just before he's pelted to death. And as he's being pelted to death, what does he say? Father, forgive them for their sin. But that's the, the, um, uh, that's our, uh, this is Stephen, um, a great follower of Christ and just the love he had for individuals and how he wanted to communicate the gospel regardless of how they were going to receive it. Peter often didn't have an agreeable group, but he delivered the message. On this 4th of July weekend, I guess I'm trying to recapture that sense of urgency. Um, I'm hoping that we understand what it means to be in position to share the gospel. And if you're sitting there saying, well, I don't have any seminary background, I didn't go to Bible college, I didn't do, you know, whatever you're recounting in your mind and the excuses that you're coming up with, just remember in the book of Acts, uh, the, men, the, the, the apostles were not well-schooled either, and the people knew that. In fact, they say this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were what? unschooled, ordinary men. (laughs) They were that much more amazed, right? And they took note of what? That they had been with Jesus. And so if you have nothing else to offer, no degrees and Bible degrees or anything, anything, the one thing you have to offer people is that you've been with Jesus and Jesus is with you. And I think we need to show the world that we have been with Jesus. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. 
Isn't it nice how all the T's in the New Testament are together? That helps me, I know. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. Well, the finer, this, this final letter to Timothy from the Apostle Paul is just packed with instructions. We're just going to look at the beginning here because I just want us to capture that sense of urgency and love that is displayed by the Apostle Paul. And so we see what a disciple of Christ is. And we need to understand what a disciple of Christ is uh, because that's what we are, disciples. So first of all, I, I believe that disciples of Christ need to understand their calling. A calling is different than your gifts and abilities. A calling is, is not something you earn or you work towards. Paul was an apostle. That's a special calling. Not all disciples are apostles, but all apostles are disciples. You gotta be a follower of Christ to be an apostle. But not everyone's called to be an apostle. But we as believers are called to be disciples. Followers of Christ. That's what we are. Followers of Christ. Paul's call came later than the other apostles. You know, he, he had been with Jesus on the road to Damascus. But we, as believers, are followers of Christ and we are disciples of Christ. We need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge that we're called. Maybe you didn't realize you were called, but you are called if you are a believer, if you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says he opens up with that. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. It's God's will that I'm an apostle. I think we need to declare, it's my, it's God's will that I'm a disciple of Christ. With a purpose. And so I'm not sure that disciples of Jesus Christ today recognize or realize who they are. Or perhaps we don't act like we know. When you know who you are, when you know that you are called out of a crowd by Jesus Himself with a purpose, you begin to act differently. You begin to behave differently. Perhaps because we don't have a special ceremony for uh, disciples of Christ, maybe that's a problem. I talked about this last night, but maybe I could I could knight you. You know, I pull out a sword, have you come forward, and, and some of you I know, you're Dan. I don't trust you with a knife on my shoulder. I'll lose a right arm or something. But wouldn't it be neat if you had some demarcation or something? Okay, I'm now a follower of Christ. Now, you're, you're probably saying, well, that's baptism, right? Baptism, where we, we declare that I am united with Christ. And I'm, I'm talking about even the process after, that, transforma- that transformative process, that, that, you know, that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in each one of our lives. And we want to see that happen by being obedient to what we're called to do. But anyhow... The application, first and foremost, is this. 
acknowledge that you're a disciple of Christ. Say to the Lord, I'm reporting for duty. And I, you could do this at home. You could do it you know, kneel next to the couch or, or, your, or your bed or whatever. I would, I would encourage you to get on your knees, even though it doesn't, you know, you're not required to get on your knees. Or if you can get on your knees, I can get on my knees. It's getting up off my knees. That's more of a challenge. But, but to go before the Lord, Lord, I'm your servant. I am your disciple. And I'm here to do whatever you would call me to do in your strength and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have to get away from uh, just that mamby-pamby stuff. You know, well, if the opportunity comes along, you know that. America is dying for lack of Christian leadership. Men and women, you are called. Answer your calling. Secondly, Disciples must understand the value of the message that we carry. Understand the value of the message. Look at that second part of verse one. According to the purpose, excuse me, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. According to the promise of life. Paul is called as apostle by the will of God for a certain promise that he was promoting. And that was the that was the promise of life. Now think about it. In such a dark place as Paul was, the smell of sewage, um, the smell of, uh, of men being packed in, a, in, in tight quarters like that, the more prisoners that were added, it, it's like the, the clock was ticking and Paul's execution time was coming. And yet in the midst of all that darkness and stench and death, Paul is talking about what? The promise of life in Christ Jesus. I think if you and I looked around, we can find some pretty dark places in the United States right now. But we are to bring life. We are to bring light into those dark places. And Paul is, is not one sentence into his letter from jail here as he's written this letter to Timothy. And he starts off, first of all, with his call, and he follows it with that which validates his calling, and that is a message of life in Christ. Men and women of God, we possess this message of life in Christ. And yes, yes, uh, we still have these earthly tents that we go about in these bodies of ours, and we are surrounded by sorrow. We have financial woes. We have challenging relationships. And yes, we have bad days. And some of you are saying, well, bad days. I wish I had bad days. I got bad months. Some of you are saying, well, I have bad years. But we have life, and we have eternal life, new life in Christ, and we have eternal life. We have eternal life. Edna Hardy and Gary Schoen are now experiencing the glory of eternal life in all of its majesty before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so the application for us is this. We need to live life or at least start living life like we're going to heaven because that's our destination. And, and, and as you realize that, that should change your demeanor, that should change who you are, and as you interact with individuals, you're just going to have all this, this joy will just exuberant, uh, and it'll just come forth from you. That attitude reflects the reality that you have life in Christ. And so stop moping about. 
And if you stop moping, you will begin to get a different reaction from those people that are in a dark world. In verse 2, he, he, as he's writing there, he says to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. First of all, that, that's just a wonderful, endearing, and warm um, uh, referral to Timothy as my dear son. Even though Timothy was not a blood relative of Paul's. It's possible that Paul led Timothy to Christ. At a minimum, Timothy came to Christ through, uh, as a result of Paul's ministry to Ephesus. We know that he was nurtured uh, by his mother and grandmother, and that's beautiful. But most important is Paul's love for him like a father loves a son. Paul is teaching and mentoring Timothy like a father should a son. And so... He extends to Timothy three benefits of the gospel, three realities that Paul himself experienced. He's now extending to Timothy and which all disciples of Christ should be extending to others in the faith. And you know the three. We need to, disciples of Christ need to dispense God's grace, mercy, and peace. And I say dispense, not provide, because we can't provide those, but we can dispense them. God is the one who provides these three. I don't know if you remember Pastor Tim, my predecessor from years ago. Um, he used to talk about being dispensers, and he would say dispensers of grace or dispensers of mercy, dispensers of peace. And he used the example of that candy, the Pez candy, you know, where you popped up and a little Pez candy. You know, I could say that in this group because most of you know what that is. Some younger kids are like, oh, Pez, what is that? Do they even have them anymore? Huh? Still got the Pez. You know, a lot of times people don't remember my sermon, but they'll remember an illustration. And Pastor Tim, I remember some of his illustrations, and that's helpful. <laughs> we want to dispense those three, grace to other people, mercy to other people, and peace and uh, grace is, uh, obviously, you, you probably know uh, what grace, mercy, and peace are. But grace, getting what we don't deserve. Mercy, not getting what we do deserve. And peace, that tranquil state in our relationship with God now. Because we were at war with God prior to Jesus. Now with Jesus Christ in our life, we have that forgiveness and we have peace with God. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's wonderful. And so it's amazing when you begin to display these three qualities to other people because it's not natural for us to be gracious to others. On my way over here um, in between services, this white van, I guess with a passion, <laughs> wanted to get in front of me. I was like, okay. And he just almost took my bumper off sliding in front, and I just... Back in the day, I would have been on him. I would have been around him and all that. But I just, see you later, bud. You know, um, <laughs> we're not naturally graceful. We're not naturally merciful. That has to come from the Lord. We have to draw from a different source than ourselves. And, and that's a beautiful thing when we do. Because we look out and we're very judgmental people. 
and you know, as you, you spend time in a word and you're, and you're, and so you know what is right and what is wrong. And so you see these immoral groups that are out there now. You see these groups, I'll call them race baiting groups, these groups that are trying to, um, they increase racial tension. They're not taking away. Um, the, the, the bottom line with that is the gospel frees people from sin and bondage. I, th- I believe a lot of these groups put people in bondage and promote bondage because of the promotion of what they say is permissible or what people can do, and it's contrary to the word of God, and it's sin, and it leads to death. I'm not loving when I accept the premise. But listen, and listen to me carefully. We need to hold out to the people that are trapped in these communities grace, mercy, and peace. And we could see a transformation begin to happen in their lives because we are coming into that darkness and shining the light. Remember, Jesus' mission is our mission, to seek and save the lost. Are you and I living in a world that desperately needs all three? Yes, we are. The challenge is not everyone is going to accept that. And remember, the, the promotion of the gospel isn't dependent on what you think the reception is going to be. Uh, just continue promoting the gospel. Because some people will just, the, with the promotion of the gospel, they'll say, you're a hater. Uh, you're this, you're that. It's okay. People don't always like our message. The application is for us to make every effort where we can to communicate to others grace, mercy, and peace. And what do I mean by that is, is you have to tell individuals, if you have the opportunity to have a conversation, tell them what it means to you. You know, grace, what it means to me. I tell you, I'm going to heaven. I don't deserve it, but one day I'm going to heaven, and that's only because of my faith in Jesus Christ. And that's called grace. Grace is just a gift, and I'm, I'm just so fortunate. I'm so blessed to have this gift. So you just, you're saying what it means to you. Mercy. God has forgiven me my sins. I'm not, I'm not perfect. I sin, and so I need forgiveness of my sin. And so I don't need to cover up. I don't need, I don't just, you know, I, I have forgiveness. And if I don't get that forgiveness, I just feel horrible about myself, and I have this nervous tension in the background, and then I, I try to cover that nervous tension with all these other compulsive behaviors. I don't need any of that. But that's the mercy of God because instead of me going to hell one day, I I know that the Lord has given me a way out of that and now I'm going to heaven because of his promise. And the peace I have, I'm able to lay my head down on the bed at night and not stare at the ceiling because I know he's in charge. I uh, and he gives me great comfort. See, if you honestly, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but whatever that means to you, what does grace mean to you? What does mercy mean to you? What is peace? What is that? Because that, that's what the world is hungry for, and they don't even know it. And they begin to see that in you. And that gives you a platform to speak from because it's true. We have new life in Christ. We have grace, mercy, and peace. And let's look at the verse 3 there then. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. And so we disciples, in order to be effective and in order to be excited about what we're sharing, 
in way of the gospel, we need to have a clear and clean conscience. And so that would be the fourth thing uh, that I would say that disciples need. We need to know the value of a clear conscience. And, and the Apostle Paul, basically, he's in prison, but he's innocent of, of what they are charging him of. But, but even before God, he, he knows that he had been a sinner, he had been a persecutor of the church, and he's forgiven all that, uh, forgiven of all his sin, and now he's just relying on the Lord. And so I would remind you, because if you don't have a clear conscience, you're, you're, you're not going to go and share the gospel with anybody. Because you're, you're just, you feel guilty, you feel bad. Uh, we'll, I'll get more into that in a moment here. But it's important for us to keep short accounts with God. And by that, what I mean is confess your sins as, whole, as soon as the Holy Spirit identifies that sin in you. And you know what that's like. You, you do something, you say something, you think something, and all of a sudden, it's like the Holy Spirit's like, that, that's, that was wrong. And you've got to stop, and you're going the wrong direction. And immediately, that's our opportunity to go to him and confess. First John 1 John 1.9, you know it well. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so he'll do that, but we need to go to him. And go to him soon. That's say, well, when i got enough sins, I'm going to go to the Lord, you know. Or when it's bad, or at the end of the day, I have a time of confession at 10 o'clock. No, it's immediate, just continually. And you want to clean cautious before, before God because um, you want to be able to share freely and not be thinking, man, how can I share with this guy? I'm worse off than he is. You know? And so the application is keep short accounts with God. He provides forgiveness. Don't sulk over it. Repent. Confess and get on. Don't get stuck in that. He's probably not going to forgive me this time. It's the same old, same old. I don't deserve it. Well, obviously we don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. Finally, let love define who you are. Let, let love define who you are. Look at verses 3 and 4. I thank God whom I serve, as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Isn't that beautiful? If someone were to say that to you, night and day, I just, I just think about you all the time and I'm praying for you all the time. Wouldn't you just love someone to say that? That is someone who loves you. And then he goes on to say, I recall your tears. I remember you crying. And I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. Because when I'm with you, I am just so joyful. And so what we're going to do, what we gain from that is three things. First of all, uh, genuinely thank God in prayer for people. Remember you in my prayers. Paul continually prays for Timothy. Why? Because he's on his heart. And Paul knows that this young pastor is going to face opposition in the church and outside the church. He needs the prayer. And He can't be with Timothy, but he's doing something better. He calls on God to direct and guide and protect Timothy because of his love for him. And so I would would just encourage you, sacrifice the time it takes to pray for others. It doesn't take long, but it's, it's a beautiful act of love, praying for somebody. And, and then tell them that you're praying for them. Such an encouragement. 
Now, I have to say this because it's interesting. You know, what would you be thinking of in prison? You're about to be executed. With every guy that's thrown in there with you is one step closer because it's going to get full and they're going to flush the system. And so Paul knows that time is ticking away, ticking away. And instead of, I don't know, feeling sorry for himself or I'm going to die any day, this is horrible. No. What does he do? He, he ha- he's praying and thinking of young Timothy and how he can pour into his life in this letter. And so this brings to light just another quali- quality of disciple. You need to have a heart for people. I constantly uh, remember you in my prayers. And so just another another way of saying that what, what I said for letter A here, but... We need to stop being so self-centered. Think of others and let them know that you're thinking about them. And so if you're in the midst of, a, of turmoil right now, if something's going on in your life and it's diff, you know, you're just, this, is, this is hard for you, just know this. If you begin to think about other people, you begin to pray for them, and you begin to think of their situation instead of your situation, it'll help you immensely. But it is, in addition to that, the right thing to do. And then finally, you've got to be real. <laughs> he, he is, uh, Paul is describing his love for Timothy, but he's also bringing something else into this letter, and that is, the last time I was with you, I remember you were crying. I rem- I'm, re- I'm recalling your tears. And, and those tears could be for a number of things, but one of those we know is because both Paul and Timothy knew what his arrest meant. Nero's in charge. And, and one day, someday soon, Timothy knows this, his mentor, his co-worker, his friend, his father in the faith has gone home. And so that day that the sewage tank was full, the maritime prison, it's packed. They pull Paul out of the out of the maritime prison, escort him to town square. They behead him. Just prior to that, he hands off a letter <laughs> to Timothy. And immediately he's in the presence of the Lord. I would encourage you to be real. Be honest with people. People that you're discipling, um, people that you're going to share the gospel with. We are not on this earth forever. We are just passing through. I think I just heard an amen from Gary. Take time to share that which is truly important. Life is short. Too short for too many meaningless conversations about sports and politics and weather. Men and women and boys and girls of God, as this country celebrates its birth, Be willing to lay down your life for those who are lost. Be living examples of the gospel. Your country needs you more now than ever. Believers must rise and answer our call for duty, overcoming our complacency to share the gospel with a sense of urgency. It's amazing that we are 
blessed with the opportunity to do all this. We have new life in Christ, and that's because of what Christ did for us. And so, on this 4th of July, on this Sunday, we have this wonderful opportunity to gather around the Lord's table and recall what he has done for us. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke that bread. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you for this bread and for this cup because they, they represent what you have accomplished for us. And by that, we receive grace and mercy and peace. Because you, perfect Lamb of God, sinless God, died on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Lord. And thank you for the provisions. And thank you for this place. And thank you that we can gather with other believers in your name. Amen.